is very interesting. So sorry, Final Fantasy VII fans. I'm still playing the game. I'm not gonna. I haven't quit on it yet. I. It might be. I would like to beat this one, although we'll see. It's definitely a lot easier, both being able to like reset my health whenever I want, but also there's a times three button, which just makes everything. I don't know how anyone endured the natural pacing of that game because they're literally like walking down a hallway just took forever. You can hold the X button to run a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. But that's um that's like with the uh by the way, this is the big bang theory. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, I'm Kyle. I'm Nick. We watched the Big Bang Theory television show. We've been watching the entire thing in chronological order to try to figure out why people like it, why they hate it, whether it accurately represents nerds. And uh, sometimes we just get so sidetracked from it that we will go on completely unrelated rants about Final Fantasy VII and ending up sounding more like the characters than we ever originally intended to. Um, I was going to say something else. We should probably stop talking about Final Fantasy VII for a few moments and focus on this episode. One last thing. Sure. Um, this isn't actually about Final Fantasy VII, but it's about uh, if you grew up... I grew up in a demographic where I was exposed to Christian, the Christian direct-to-VHS market. Are we talking about VeggieTales? VeggieTales was what they had for kids. What most people are not aware is they also made like movies for adults. Most of them were about like action movies framed around the rapture. Oh, nice. Oh, like the Left Behind series? The Left Behind were like the A-list one. <laughs> like th- those had Kurt Cameron back in the day when he, you know, um, after he had a mental breakdown. But, uh, <coughs> but um, the B-level ones... I specifically remember there was one of them that was about a group of freedom fighters fighting against a corrupt government run by the Antichrist. One of those freedom fighters was Mr. T. So there is actually a movie in which Mr. T runs around in like a jumpsuit fighting like a like a corporate evil overlords who are also like vaguely demonic and evil in like a slightly futuristic dystopia. Mm-hmm. Closest we're probably ever going to get to a Final Fantasy VII movie. Okay. I mean, there was Final Fantasy Spirits Within, which generally... or What, what was, was that actually? Advent Children was the Final Fantasy VII movie. Well, I wasn't even thinking about that one, but you're right. There was a Final Fantasy... There was literally a Final Fantasy VII movie and a sequel to it, I suppose. Yes. <sighs> so right. we watched a television show. Yeah, what happened? <laughs> Presumably. <laughs> what did happen? Um. Well... I guess making the summaries a lot simpler, uh, the the series apparently has just completely discarded its B-plots. Um, oh, yeah, they did it again. Sort of. I mean, there's... Yeah, more or less it's gone. So this episode starts with Sheldon um, quickly turning his back to a board of formula and then turning away again because he's trying to activate a certain part of his brain. I can't remember what it was called. The suffocal something or other. Who knows? Yeah, and that's supposed to... Neurological psychobabble. Yeah, and that's supposed to give him, like, superior intellectual functioning so he can solve this problem he's been dealing with. Uh, And that's basically the whole episode is him trying to figure out different ways to visualize this issue he's having so he can resolve it and just annoying the shit out of everyone in the meantime while they are growing increasingly concerned for his well-being. Um, That's really about it. And I, I like to think this is the this is more of the Sheldon that I want, honestly. Like this is Sheldon as I see him, always just on the verge of a breakdown because he he's trying because if if Sheldon really is such a a bold and brilliant theological theo, theological theoretical <laughs> physicist, um, then he should be working on the hard problems, the thing that the things that are brain breaking. And yeah. so I want him to be in a constant state of stress 
as he's always trying to to further his field as significantly as he can. And I do want him to go on the three-day involuntary psychological holds as often as possible. Yeah, and to be fair, unlike most of this show where it's like the things that they deal with, I'm not sure are like real things physicists struggle with. He's trying to figure out why electrons sometimes behave as if they have mass and sometimes don't, which is like, I'm pretty sure actually one of the core math, at least I remember up until very recently, unless someone solved it, is one of the real like fundamental problems of quantum physics. Yeah, but it could be one of those things too that like, he he's near the end of the episode. He has this epiphany, you know, which is just what you described. That sometimes electrons act as if they have mass, and that sometimes they act as if they're waves. Um, which is something that I think you're just kind of taught in most physics classes. At least it doesn't sound wrong when he describes it. Yeah, no, I mean that that part was annoying because his his solution was, oh wait, they're not behaving as a particle; they're behaving as a wave. And that's like, yes, that's something that like that's literally the thing that like. Uh, the Copenhagen interpretation and like uh, I really want to say Heisenberg I think that was like Heisenberg figured that one out uh, possibly I don't know I'd be maybe I'd it was Niels Bohr very much speaking out of my depth if I were to even try to comment on that but I'm wondering if maybe what he's trying to do is like I was thinking about even basic geometry classes where you have to write out proofs you can't just assume that such and such lines put together make a parallelogram you have to be able to explain like why this particular composition of lines makes up the correct angles. And, f- and that this is like the most basic way of describing it. And then you have to do more and more complicated proofs. But what if he is like working on one of those things that we do take for granted and he's just trying to actually explain it. And so his epiphany maybe is just oversimplified. Why am I defending Sheldon's method right now? What <laughs> happened to me? They won you over with all, he won you over with all the bazingas in this episode. Oh, it's got so many bazingas. So actually that's, that's, Fun because um, before we started watching this episode, that's the only thing about the Big Bang Theory that I ever re- really remembered was there was the clip I saw on YouTube of Sheldon and Leonard having an argument without the laugh track. So you can see it's actually a pretty tragic and serious show. Um, and then also I saw this clip of Sheldon and Leonard in a ball pit as Sheldon just kept creeping through it, jumping up to say bazinga and then going back underneath like a shark forever circling, but never actually biting or trying to devour Leonard. Yeah. I do think this is this is where it takes off. Like, I think this was the... I don't... Like, watching it, it's kind of funny. It's not, like, like side-splittingly funny, but it's just, for whatever reason, this is the moment that made Bazinga iconic, I feel like. So, this is the thing everybody... This is where it comes from. Everybody remembers it because of this particular scene. So this is where it comes from comedic thing that Nick genuinely likes to overused catchphrase that I'm going to get it really sick of really quickly. Yes. Great. This is the turning point in that process. It's like after this, there's there's probably going to be like one Bazinga an episode at least. I've been really enjoying the series up until now, and now it's just going to be downhill. So thanks thanks for nothing, Mike Sendrowski and other people that worked on the Big Bang Theory. But I don't know. Anything stick out to you that you really want to get into about this one? I mean, it was just, it's weird. It was just like genuine. I'm just trying to figure out what made this like an actually good episode. Raj got fucked. That made me uh, upset. That's another thing about the way the episode starts is uh, it's, this is as close as it gets to a B plot. And it's not even that. It's like a throwaway joke that goes semi-resolved. And it's uh, one, the morning after the first scene uh, Sheldon Leonard Wallowitz and Raj are all eating together in the cafe- the university cafeteria and, and Sheldon is like close encounters of the third kind focused on his food still trying to resolve this problem 
and uh, Raj shows up all cheery, and he's like, hey, everyone, disco uh, roller skate night in Glendale. Let's go have a good time, huh? And then Wallowitz and Sheldon immediately, like, appropriate his idea, and are like, you know, that'd be a great do- double date night. We should do that. And Raj, who brings it up, just has to sit there like, so I'm not going on the thing that I just recommended to you. I'm just here to instruct you on how to have good times. Yeah. I don't get to go along on the date that yeah. I just invited you to. <laughs> Yeah, that one sucked because it felt too real, right? It didn't. Well, I don't know. I've never had that happen, but I, I just. But I you can, can imagine, imagine it. Like how you can just frustrating. Like you just it is. feel the. Yeah, that one's like that would be a real problem with like you could see being like the one single guy with two two male friends who had just both gotten girlfriends around the same time, being like, <laughs> "Let's hang out," and they're like, "That's great. We'll both we'll both invite our girlfriends, and you can go fuck yourself." I guess that did actually that did happen to me exactly one time because it was fairly recently. And it was, uh, I'd seen Mandy for the first time, and I, I watched it in my basement on my large enough television, and thought it was great. And then I saw that there was a rooftop showing of it. Um, a friend of mine hadn't had a chance to see it in theaters, and so I was like, oh, hey, you know, Mandy is actually playing at this rooftop theater, um, if you want to go check that out. And she's like, oh, that's great, me and my husband will go, thanks for the tip. Oh, no. <laughs> and I was like, ah, nuts. I can't invite myself after I've accidentally been uninvited on the thing I just recommended. But then you and I got to see Mandy in the yes, theaters anyway. We and it won. was wonderful. So and I didn't have to sit out in the cold on a roof, um, on a LA heavy traffic area. So ultimately it was the better way to go. Yeah. I think so. Yeah. Wow. What else I mean, so uh there's a pretty n- like, just other funny things that happen in this episode. Sheldon decides, basically, that the way he's... Oh, yeah, this was actually... I think this was actually, like, the closest they've ever come to doing something that was like, oh, this is actually, like, this is a straight, like, this is a good bit that they've committed to here, which is Sheldon decides that the thing he needs to help him crack this puzzle is, much like Albert Einstein working at a patent office, he just needs to get a menial job that will yes. allow him to uh, to turn off his brain. Um <laughs> You know, and basically just, you know, by doing menial labor, the back of his brain will be working on the problem. Um, and so, yeah, so he just shows up at Penny's work and starts... Uh, we're, we're, we're skipping a part that I think you and I both took issue with. Is okay, when he's on. at the employment office and he's like, you know, the kind of job where, say, the minority would uh, recognize their subservience to their lords and yeah, building he gets, he gets large a, temples and pyramids and being gets, ground into the dust of the buildings they were making while their obvious superiors yeah. would... He gets a little bit, uh, a little bit uh, Nietzsche there. It's not good. No, 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 no. But, but you were saying, then he gets a job at the Cheesecake Factory. Well, he doesn't. That's the best part of the whole joke, right? He doesn't get a job at the Cheesecake Factory. He shows up and starts working at the Cheesecake Factory, and no one stops him. Yeah, he uh, he shows up. He just starts working at a busboy. He doesn't apply. He's not employed. He just starts doing it. Yeah, because yeah. he doesn't need money, so he's just wandering around, like, first, like, bussing tables and then taking people's orders and getting their food. But you know what's strange about that is that he's great at it. And so, like, yeah. Sheldon... That's also a great part of the joke. That's, like, all of the... It all holds together really well. But but it does this weird thing where it shows that Sheldon, if he really wants to be, can be as, like, socially... Uh, why am I suddenly blanking? It's as sociable as he wants to, as, as as anyone else. Well, yeah, I mean, I think it's just it's more the case that he's he's uh, his capacity for processing large amounts of information like makes him a makes him a good waiter, basically. 
And he's not a jerk. You're right. He's not like a jerk about it. Like he is. No, he's great at it. He's very friendly. Like he he just remember. He's the he's the kind of consummate professional waiter who remembers everything, and that's sort of like the best thing yeah, in a waiter. But, but what I'm saying is, if he can do it in this context, what is to prevent him from any other context? being just as sociable like i think okay that's a good point i mean obviously the answer is he doesn't care <laughs> like he's it doesn't serve some ulterior purpose of helping him solve a yeah. physics problem so so the trick to making sheldon a better friend is to find different ways in which you'd be mutually benefited by a social activity they're like hey we're all gonna go swimming later i know you have no interest in that but if you're having a problem with wave particles, maybe, you know, hanging out in the tide pool for a little while will help you think of such and such. And, like, every day would be a game of trying to figure out what physicist benefit your your fun interaction, your social outing would have to Sheldon. Yeah. But, you know, they talk about basically... Um... Like, basically, part of that whole joke is they talk about, you know, he may never snap out of this. This may just be his life now. We all know that one professor who who, uh, who had a, who got burned out and became a dog groomer and never mm-hmm. went back to work. And it's like, I don't have any example that specific, but I feel like we all know people kind of like that. Like, people who had, like, either seemingly incredible potential or maybe who, for a brief period of time, actually, like reach the heights of their potential and then you know for one reason or another they just like bounce back and you know yeah well i i remember uh once uh when i when i just first started out as a lawyer and the town i was living in was not going to be the place where i knew i was going to be able to find work right away but uh, a friend of mine kept uh insisting that i just kind of abandon the law to begin with and she would send me articles of like I remember the first one she ever sent me was some guy who decided that uh, he hated the law so much that he's going to abandon it to follow his real dream of being a clown and, like, performing at children's birthdays parties and how he loved it and just never looked back. Like, is the law in the law, he made all this money, but he's just constantly sick and miserable. And then he goes out and he sees the smiles on these children's faces and he's like, I don't need any of that anymore. And I feel like that's pretty common. Well, not common, but not uncommon in my field. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I knew a guy... Who worked at uh, who worked at NASA for a brief period of time, and then basically ended up being like a a camp counselor. Yeah, you just or I was watching a video just the other day of someone who was like a a chemical engineer, and they said, "Ah, oh, fuck this, I'm going to culinary school." Yeah, we all have these moments. Some yeah. of us just don't follow through. Well, on them. So I guess those are all kind of inspiring in their own weird ways. I was kind of thinking of the the more like, uh, well, you know, I spent. T- well, I spent too much of my uh, too much of my uh, startup successful startup money on cocaine, and now I'm a now I'm a waiter. Oh, I guess there's that. There's, I guess you can have the bad kind of meltdown. Yes. Oh, I thought I only think of the uplifting meltdowns, the one where someone is about to kill themselves and then and said they think I should actually just follow my dreams. Well, I don't want to because I don't. That's good. I don't mean to be classist, like um. So putting an asterisk too here, late, depending on, we may have to cut this part. I don't know. But like someone, someone who was very inspirational to me and giving me good advice and like helping me keep going when I first moved to LA because I wanted to be a writer was someone who had been a successful TV writer and basically they, they lost their TV writing gig and never found another one and ended up uh, like at the time I met them there uh, to this day, they're, they basically, they're a caterer. They work catering jobs um, and 
you know, I think they're fairly good at it, but it's not like they're dream or anything. They're just like, that's what they do to make money. But if you look at their credits, like they worked on shows that you, you know, that I watched growing up and they're still like, they still enter writing competitions and, you know, seem really talented and funny and are involved in all sorts of ways. And I always kind of wonder if they're ever going to bounce back. And I hope they do. I'm using, uh, yeah, I'm trying to speak in as vague a terms as possible, but I don't feel like I'm putting this person on blast. If like, I, I have no idea who the fuck you're talking about. Well, you don't know them, and also, but and also, there's no way they're ever going to hear this episode. But just in case they do, for what it's worth, wait, I is this a, them. is this a Kyle's oversharing personal life story? Is this as close as it comes? <laughs> yes, all the names have been redacted. You don't get to know this person's like age, gender, race, religion. But um, I always think of that. It's like one week you're writing successfully on a tv show next week you're a caterer for the rest of your life maybe yeah or like me one week you're you're working at your fairly well-paying law job that you completely hate and then the next several months you're just kind of lying on your back thinking about how sad you are yeah, yeah. well that we was, all have those things those were connected yeah <laughs> yeah um i don't know you know I, it's weird because like so we, we're, we're doing double duty today uh we watched another episode earlier today the, the one from two weeks ago for the people who are actually listening which was such a stinker. And it's this one, it's, it's not any more complicated than the last episode. It's, you know what it is, um, is that the, the problem persists. The last episode we watched was um, their uh, Sheldon and Leonard's apartment got broken into. And I, I said on that episode that the problem with it is in part that the most important thing happens at the beginning when nobody's around. And then there's nothing as interesting that happens for the rest of the episode. But I think in this episode, it does work because Sheldon is constantly struggling with the problem throughout. There's actually something that they're working toward. Yes. And I think in contrast to most, like there have been other Sheldon has problems episodes, but most of those he's intolerable. Where in this one, like while what he is doing is annoying, is annoying probably to the people around him. It is crucially not annoying to us as an audience to watch him. Yeah. Like, which I think is an important distinction. Like, uh, like... It's like in in other episodes where he has trouble, sometimes, like, the things that he's doing are annoying to us just to watch him do them. Yes. Or in this one, when Leonard takes him around the ball pit, it's like, well, it sucks to be Leonard, but that's delightful. You know, it it just made me think of, you know, whether it's annoying to us or not. And that made me think of the movie Dumb and Dumber. Where they're the two main characters are constantly obnoxious. That's all they are. They're they're dumb yes. idiots. They're kind of but but it's rarely, if ever, annoying to the audience member because you get to see how other people are suffering through it without having to suffer yourself. Oh, like you just or or you feel differently. Well, it's <laughs> funny because I took the exact opposite. I was like because I was like yeah, Sheldon is kind of like a lot of the time Sheldon is like that one scene where Jim Carrey makes that one noise for way too long. The noise is exactly what I was thinking of. Except I was thinking in a normal episode of the big bang theory the noise would go on for 22 minutes yes okay so so we're basically on the same page yeah approaching it slightly differently but we're we're there we're unified um it did so one thing that comes up in this episode it doesn't come up in this episode but it's like for some reason the last two episodes have had a lot of scenes with penny and leonard in bed together yeah and there are, are seem to be no rules for which apartment they sleep at why would their neighbors well, exactly. So partially then, I mean, their neighbors, I don't know. It just seems like it just seems like in real life they would probably spend all of their time sleeping in one person's bedroom or the well, other, but like half the time I, I'm I know I'm thinking too hard about this. I acknowledge in advance I'm thinking too hard, but half of the time the episode starts with Penny walking out of Leonard's bedroom yeah. into the living room and half of the time like 
they're they're sleeping over at Penny's place. Just act as if they're in a universe where everyone has teleportation powers and be anywhere at any time they want. Then you don't have to think about why they're you know where they started from. I guess what they were doing there. But no, I I think you're right. Like I think in like a lot of relationships, there's a lot of weirdness about when you start staying over at the other person's house or who's to stay at in the first place or how often or anything like that. But I think that's all just erased when you're literally neighbors. Well, yeah, I mean, and it's this show. Like, I get, I get, like, they just don't, aren't that interested in, like, but I actually, I guess what's making me realize is I have no sense, despite the fact that they've been dating for however long on this show. Well, I don't even know that. I have no sense of how Leonard and Penny's relationship works at all. Uh, I mean, you don't need, they get along well enough. That's like, you know, you never have to see what they necessarily see in each other, I guess. Because well, Leonard is kind of fundamentally unlikable. Well, I yeah, <laughs> I mean, I don't even mean, I don't understand what they, like, I don't even understand, like, what kind of couple dynamic they have. Well, they fuck and they go on roller skate disco dates. But they hate it. I mean, that was, this episode specifically points out that, like, Bernadette and... And Penny. And Penny were horrified by uh, by Leonard and Wallowitz's uh, disco dancing slash falling around on the floor. Yeah. <sighs> Which, did I ever tell you... The one time as an adult I went it wasn't like a it wasn't like a roller disco it was just like a roller skating place here in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. Um but like the one thing everybody pointed out to me afterwards like the friends I went with they were like you were really intense about like master- mastering like the roller skating element <laughs> of that whole. It's like we were all just sort of having fun and sort of bouncing around but you were like obviously trying to mas- like teach yourself how to roller skate as well as possible in like the hour time allotted to you and you were just sort of like scowling as you <laughs> made track after loop after loop around the roller skating track while your balance slowly improved. I like that that you're able to take the fun thing and ruin it because you I don't know. I feel like I I get similar responses when I go to comedy shows where my friends would always make fun of me for having like a stone face because I'm not able to like relax and enjoy it instead I'm just like, mm, "Yes, your joke structure. I need to know how that works. Yes, I'm studying you." Yes. I do specifically remember the time we went to see Patton Oswalt and you were like, maybe if I can just get close enough to him, I can cut off one of his toes and eat it. And then the uh, knowledge inside his toe will teach me how to be. Uh, we should wrap up there. That's too gross. I'm freaking out. What? But, wh- wh- which part? The cannibalism or the mutilation? Specifically that it's a toe. I don't want to eat a toe. Okay. <laughs> I'd eat a Oh, but I'll eat Lin-Manuel Miranda's shit. Is that it? Yes. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. Let's... Let's not be re- let's be real here and not pretend that my admiration for Patton Oswalt comes anywhere near your adoration for Lin Manuel Miranda. He's a delight and he's perfect in everything he does. It's not my fault. Like I like Patton Oswalt. I don't worship him. Uh, but we we should start wrapping up. Um, we're on the Facebook. We're on the Twitter. We're on the uh, all the different apps you can download pod, pod, podcasts on. Uh, we have a website that redirects you to our Facebook, bbttpodcast.com. You can join there and give thumbs ups when we post episodes or tell us where you sound ugly through our voices or something like that. Whatever you want to do. Um, now it's time for Nerd Thing of the Week. Kyle, do you uh, have one? Do you want to go? Should I go? I'll go. F- um, well, so I'll just say as a preamble, I'm always a little nervous making music recommendations just because like, I feel... Um, well, it's like... They're basically, I am so out of touch that I never know, like, this is a true story that happened to me when I was little that I don't think I've ever quite recovered from, which is I walked into school and I was like, hey guys, I've discovered this band, you'll never guess how awesome they are. They're called Queen, and they're great, and 
Uh, actually, no one was mean to me. It's just that, that always, like, I later on, like, putting things into perspective, that's just sort of like how I discover music is I never realized. That sounds like, fine. You learned about a band at a young age that you wouldn't have any reason to naturally know about because they were decades before your generation. Fair enough. But sometimes I just, like, wor- like basically, I'm worried that the mu- that I'm about to announce that I have, that I have really bougie hipster taste and I don't know that's what I'm saying about myself. Queen? No. Uh, so, as I was listening to Hamilton the other week, uh, um, I too, or uh, YouTube just randomly recommended, well, if you like this guy, you might like this other guy. His name is Watsky. And so, I, yeah, I'd never heard of this Watsky guy. No, nor have I, for the record. Okay, but he's a rapper out of San Francisco. Uh, very, um, you know, I am not that into hip-hop or rap. I don't, like, I don't disdain it. It's just like, again... Hamilton is my main baseline, so obviously it's not deep. Oofa doofa. Right. It's like, so to be fair, after I, you know, I listened to a little bit of Eminem growing up and I listened to Hamilton, then to better understand Hamilton, I listened to a little bit of like Nas and, uh, and, uh, who's Biggie. Um, but literally I was listening to Nas and Biggie to like understand more about Lin-Manuel Miranda and Hamilton. So that's probably a weird, that's a weird angle to come at all of that from. Oh yeah. I do really like Elmatic for the record. It's a great, and, uh, uh, what's the, what's the one that, uh, Juicy's on the Notorious B.I.G. album that I don't even know enough about it, but I I am familiar with the song Juicy. Juicy and Give Me the Loot and all of that. That album is great. Drink champagne when we thirsty. Yes. (laughs) Birthdays were the worst days. Yeah. Anyway, um, Super Nintendo, Sega Genesis. When I was young, I could not uh, imagine this. Anyway, uh, the good stuff. Anyway, good he also talks a lot about murdering people with a Tech Nine. So whatever. Uh, but uh, anyway, um, so Watsky does not is not like a gangster rapper at all. His his rap is all kind of like you know what you might expect like a white San Francisco. Well, I don't again. I don't know. It feels like hipster themes, right? Because it's all just like you know my you know overcoming artistic obstacles, trying to gain self reflection, like dealing with my own mortality. You know, it's, all of his rapping is about that stuff. But it's it, it's pretty. It really resonates with me. Like I can't recommend. Like you know, he has a a song called Welcome to the Family, which is all him talking about someone else and being like, yeah, I kind of love you. You're broken. You're broken in a slightly different way than me, but maybe we can be broken in the way together that will make us Aww. work together well. And but he's rapping about it. And the other thing I like about him is he he breaks out some priests. I like it when they rap really, really fast. Like that's <laughs> not a, that's there's no, no artistic whatever there. It's just like, ha, gotta rap fast, makes brain tickle. Good. And so he, he has some incredibly fast, uh, fast rapping sometimes that i think is pretty good so all in all just really recommending watsky hope that doesn't mean i'm hipster trash well even if it does so what i mean i am i'm a very basic boring person but when i lived in montana i'd get accused of being a hipster all the time because i liked things that were not completely in the mainstream but weren't necessarily obscure either. But then, so what? What are you going to do yeah. about it? You like what you like. Yeah, I guess that is the weird curse, right? It's like when you know, it's like whenever you try to drift outside the mainstream, there's always like that huge middle area where you're like slightly more niche, but you don't know what anything signifies. So you're like, so you're like, uh, well, I'm liking this thing unironically, but, uh, but maybe, but maybe it's not actually that clever. And it's just, I just like Whatever. it because it's different from what you're right. I'm too insecure about it. Also, someone gave me a hard time recently because I recommended something from uh, what's Tupperware Remix Party. Have you ever listened to them? 
I don't. Oh, um, I didn't know what that acronym stood for, but do they? Twerp. Yes, yes. I, I'm familiar with them going by twerp. It's like I really like the song Phantom Racer by them, and someone was giving me a hard time for that the other day. Cool. Um, I'm sorry that happened. That's, you should fuck you. them. Fuck them in their stupid eye sockets. Fair enough. All right. Uh, I'm going to recommend a game that doesn't make me hipster trash because everyone loves it already anyway. Um, I finally broke down and bought Celeste. What's that face? That's, that's, uh, that's, uh, I've heard about that game, but I don't know. I, that was just like, uh, it's, uh, the, it's, uh, the, this is weird timing to be playing Celeste. Didn't that game come out like three and a half years ago? Came out a year ago, motherfucker. Chill oh, out. <laughs> and it's been on a lot of best ofs and everyone talks about what a fantastic game it is. And I've had it on like wish lists since I very first heard of it, but just, I don't know. I kept putting off, uh, picking it up. And so I finally did it this last week and I like it a lot. But I'm going to say I I don't totally understand the universal praise uh, it's getting for for two reasons. One of those is that as much as I like it, I this is kind of like simplistic of me to break it down this way, but it feels a lot like Super Meat Boy just for people who have feelings. Oh, what a, again? What a way with words you have. It's well, like I understand without ever playing the game. I understand exactly what you mean when you say that. Yeah, it's it's a lot of precision jumping, avoiding spikes. Uh, each world has a unique mechanic, which is iterated in a number of different clever ways. Um, but it's it's not like revelatory. It's like not blowing my mind. It's just it's really good. It is really good. Um, and but the other reason that I don't understand it having such appeal is that it's really hard. Like I guess Super Meat Boy was really hard too, and people loved it anyway. But like I can't imagine like a casual gamer picking this up and having a good time with it at all because. It gets complicated, not not complicated, but it gets tricky really quickly. Like every every room is a is a jumping puzzle. It's not just like necessarily how quick your reflexes are. It's it's figuring it out and then having to actually execute your plan. And it's it's tricky. It's it's making me feel kind of dumb in a in a good way though. Like every time I do solve a puzzle or something, even though it's you know it's on the beaten path and it's meant to be solved by just about anybody. I do feel really clever when I figure it out. It's nice. Um, But actually explain what the game is about. Um, Celeste is the name of the mountain of the game. You play a character, Madeline, who uh, has been having a personal rut. And so she can't say exactly why, but she just knows that she needs to climb this mountain for some sort of personal growth. And I don't think it's a spoiler to say that at some point in the game, you come across a mirror and the mirror breaks and this inner part of you that you've been suppressing and don't want to let out um, becomes physical and breaks free from the mirror and starts antagonizing you. And so not only are you now climbing, you know, this video game, bizarro version of Mount Everest, but you have all of your worst feelings manifested into an evil version of you chasing you around and trying to kill you. God, I hate it when that happens. It's the pits. It really is. Um, and I know you're joking, but I feel like that is a fairly common media thing, having to deal with your your evil twin that represents all of your own suppressed emotions. That's true. <laughs> Frankly, the real difference... I'm sorry, I'm hijacking your... No, 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 no. I was just going to say, I almost... I like. I wish it was a trope that was true, because how much... Like, be honest... Would you rather struggle with your depression or would you rather just have to face like like the other like your it's like if I can just kill sad Nick with a knife I never have to deal with this ever again. Well, that's actually a coping a coping mechanism that I've heard about 
is to imagine, like with me specifically with depression, but I think generally with mental illness, is to imagine it as an entity separate from yourself. So you have an easier time confronting it. It's not a part of you that you hate. It's it's something that you just have to live with and that you have to take on its own terms. Um, which I think is kind of where the game... Get, I haven't beaten it yet. I'm really close to the end right now. But that's kind of where the game goes is like you can struggle with these feelings as long as you want, but ultimately it is nonetheless a part of you and you have to eventually, you know, come to terms with that whatever way you can, whether it's climbing a giant mountain or lying in your basement eating a lot of Burger King, you know, whichever it takes. But yeah, it's a a really good game. I just, it's not blowing my mind like I expected it to, but I am compelled to finish it and I'm really enjoying it. So I recommend Celeste. Awesome. Awesome, man. Good recommendation. Hooray. Knocked it out of the park again. Speaking of, did you ever beat Oberdin? Sure didn't. Don't know if I will. feel like I'm just too dumb to enjoy that game. Don't have the patience for it. I, I, I like played through so I can see all the different story bits, and then I got time to like crack my knuckles and solve the puzzles. And I was like, ah, That's fine. let's see what else I need to catch up on. <laughs> That's another one where for me, where every time I finally figured one out, it's like, yeah, I'm so fucking smart. Yeah, yeah. And I don't know. I went through like a really silly phase there for a while where I was like, puzzle games are terrible because every puzzle comes with a solution that you're meant to solve. Like the smartest you can ever feel is no better than some guy giving you as many clues as he thought necessary for you to get through it. Like you're... And that's just the way video games work, you know, because they're designed. But yes. it's like you're you're never genuinely clever. You're only as minimally clever as somebody else who had to decide how hard they should have made this thing for you to solve. <laughs> and then that breaks my heart. Yeah, I guess that's true. Yeah. No matter how smart you feel, somebody made it so you could figure it out. Video games. Know, isn't that, don't you like all those videos where people are like using hacks that they discovered in the game? I mean, these are not public Well, that's games. different. When it, when something is figured out in a way that was not meant by the developer, then that's rad. Yeah. It's you're right. Puzzle games, ironically, are, probably leave you the least room to do that of any type of game. Yeah, yeah. Except like compared to your average platformer. The one time uh, I was playing Tetris 2 on the Super Nintendo and I was like 13 years old. I had this really bad cough and like maybe some sort of throat infection or something. And so I, I was uh, prescribed codeine for it. It's the only yeah. time in my life I had codeine. And in my weird, like semi-conscious codeine state of mind, I beat through every puzzle level in that game. There's like a hundred of them. And I, I went through them all in one sitting. It just unlocked this Zen part of me that allowed me to do it. I doubt I could do it again today. Um, but 13 year old Nick, when his mind was free, was able to accomplish great things. Cool. All right. <laughs> Codeine, the third recommendation. Codeine. It, it'll give you ideas. 